we were struggling a little bit in our London studio and this idea of this big job was like great we went against our values and that's something we hadn't done before and we won't do again we knew we were taking a risk and we knew it could bite us because definitely values were not aligned and it was the worst bit and where I'm the most sad about it was that it damaged a lot of the people that worked in it it was a perfect example of what not to do our guest this morning is on the more unconventional side. I mean, for starters, he wouldn't necessarily like to call himself a leader, but what better setup for a secret leader than that? Matt Miller, a.k.a. Mills to his friends and to everyone else, a.k.a. the Chief Wonka, is a co-founder of the Fampany Reed family company, Us Two, the design studio that occupies the ground floor of the T-building in Shoreditch, famous for hosting many of the UK's most creative brands, including Shoreditch House. Mill started his career at the design studio Animal, and by the sounds of it, his first and only ever boss demonstrated to him just how leadership could be. A friendship based on trust and shared values, and that's something that he and co-founder John Sinclair, aka Sinks, learned from, and brought with them to us two from the day they started it, and will carry it through to the day they never, ever sell it. Today's discussion on superb leadership won't cover some of the previous glitz and glam moments of selling and buying Lambos, but instead about putting values and culture at the heart of an organisation that really seems to be more about lifestyle design in action, keeping your creativity in full flow, full-time employed with no intention to sell to anyone, just to create the best working environment imaginable. Most recently, Mills has stepped back from the day-to-day running of us two studios and is focused now more on the ad venture side of the business, their venture arm, which includes some well-known brands such as Marvel, the prototyping app that is rather than Spider-Man, and Dice, the events app, again, not the six-sided gaming tool, he's not that old. So enough about talking about him, let's crack on and just talk to him. It's our secret leader du jour, Mr. Matt Mills of us two. So Matt, welcome to the show, dude. Thank you very much. Welcome, Mills, I should say. Who calls you, Matt? Your mum. That was, if I was going to change anything about that intro, it would have been never reveal the name, but you've revealed it, and I, I'm, too I'm late, happy mate. for that. I'm it's happy too for late. that. too no, late. No one calls. Actually, you know, I, I find myself only ever introducing myself as Matt in in the sort of, um, in certain situations, none of which I can remember now, but I feel, well, I have to be sensible, I need to say Matt, but I don't know, I don't know what the need to have a full name is, why that makes me any better, or why, for me, having a full name is like wearing a suit. It's not me, so I'm honoured that I've been asked to come and speak. Well, we're honoured to have you. In my little, in this secret chamber. There you go. 2018 is uh, your year, as you said, about doing new things. And uh, you don't really do interviews traditionally too much, do you? No. So um, what new things are you doing in 2018? Take us through it. This, this podcast is one new thing. So this year, um, I've set myself a goal of running my first 100-mile ultramarathon. And six months ago, actually, as a precursor to getting into a position to do that, stopped drinking alcohol, uh, became a vegetarian, moved near as I could get to veganism, um, and started just treating myself, my body, right. I realized I'd probably spent 14 years so obsessed with the one thing I loved at the time, really, was which was us two. Um, other than my family. And uh, I, t- I turned on its head and I said, actually, none of that mattered. Actually, what mattered is that I actually walked every day. I moved, I walked, I actually felt good about myself. And it's been a, a game changer. And so the last, especially the last two weeks, I've I've pushed myself to spend every morning from about 5.30 to about 8.30, stretching, meditating, and just spending time on my own. And it kind of is still, it's not hard. It feels a bit cringy talking about it like that, but it actually does make a genuine difference to me. And just my, so this year I've also got rid of my phone in terms of actually using it as like a constant, um, I don't tracker. Know, tracker, exactly. I just don't, something it was just, I kept having these flashbacks for last year being in multiple meetings. I'm sure you've been in those where actually no one really is present. They're, they're on their computers, they're talking on Slack, they're talking on WhatsApp. And, you know, actually I was a big proponent of using WhatsApp within the studios and make sure that anyone could contact me any stri- uh, any time of the day. But that's bad. I've realised it's really bad. So, yeah, so I'm just con- I'm concentrating on myself. I'm being really selfish. I'm, I'm going on huge runs and I'm loving it. I'm, I'm absolutely loving it. I mean, I'd love to believe I set my coach that I hired... Um, the challenge of like getting me you know, to be as close as a, a f- almost 40-year-old pro can be. Nice. So, I mean, if this is your first uh, ever podcast, we should probably break you in gently. Yeah, exactly. We'll be nice and calm. What's the most terrifying thing you've ever done in your journey of us two? I often talk about what me and Sinks do because we built a company that was so much, you know, obviously called us two. Yeah. Um, 
In some ways, I think one of the most terrifying things has been uh, the decision end of last year for Sinks and myself to go our separate ways within the business. So Sinks is now focusing exclusively on studios in terms of the client service side of the business. And I am focusing on the kind of the startup in some ways, the adventure side. Um, And I think that's probably not the most terrifying thing. But the terrifying thing is like we spent 14 years believing that we're better 100% 100% always as one. And I think actually what we learned is that we didn't develop as much as we need to as leaders because we were always relying on the other one to top each other off. And by forcing ourselves apart, we're actually finding that we're uh, we're actually strong. We are becoming stronger, better leaders um, without the, the crux of the other. Terrifying thing has also definitely been... Um, we elevated like, the, the, the need, the use of values a few years ago as the company got like 300 people the utility of values became obvious. And, you know, rather than just having values written all over the wall, we really understood that you need to use those values in your everyday. So you have to actually hire and fire with that. And when we looked at uh, across the company, um, there were definitely some people that um, we had to help to to move on. Um, It was difficult because a lot of those people were our friends. Um, But actually, you know, we were doing them a disservice as well by, by sort of, not developing our company and and bringing the right people with us. So. so are you kind of talking about, you know, deciding what the different aspects of how us two looks in 10 years, 50 years, 100 years, deciding on them at this point in the journey and saying, I don't care if you're the biggest biller and every single person in the company loves you for these three things, you're yeah. missing the fourth value and we can't develop it with you, so you have to go. It's that kind of thing. It's been that brutal. Uh, there are there's definitely times where yeah we've had to be like that um and i think but i think equally you know the lot the, the good thing is that at the, at, while having to do that and I, th- I imagine many businesses go through this um we've also understood how to hire people i you know don't hire people that don't have those values or, or aren't interested in in modeling those values in the first place and of course the early years you know when you're hacking stuff together as you know too too well you when you're young as well i wasn't i wasn't really aware of of the utility of those values. I was just, I was just displaying those values every day. Yeah, I mean, I think we don't look. We're not. We're never looking like ten years ahead. I think it's impossible to to gaze that far ahead. Um, we we definitely have looked back in in us two's history and seen that every two or three years the company has had to change um, because in order to stay relevant in the industry. You know, I remember looking back a few years back with Sinks and saying, "Fuck, we are actually us two is not a young um, nipple on the street anymore. It's actually." A, you know that was going on twelve years, and that's. I started to get a little bit worried that you know we were we we could become one of those legacy companies that I that I see in the industry that that sold out quite early or, or late in the game, and I think it's just a shell of the company it was. It doesn't have that 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 rigor and that excitement. Like I also went through a stage a few years ago. I mean, I've 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 spent you know two years, maybe three years, constantly going back and forth whether or not I'm still right to be in us to whether us two is is right for me into in because I didn't have anything other than us to which is why I talked at the beginning about wanting to be selfish now finding something outside of us to that isn't that can be a crux for me if us is you know hurting me or something like that mm. okay that was um that's you know how we ease you in gently right with that's some really random tidbits question. here and there no, with some uh, you know deep info so this is how we typically start our show we just wanted to mess with you a little bit knowing that it was your first time yeah um we do a quick fire round because okay, that no. actually eases people in but you know you look suitably, I don't really, I, you suitably know, I, comfortable perched on the corner he looks very comfortable there. yeah you do yeah. he's wearing his um trademark shorts just so everyone knows and beanie and we are in january just uh, to give people the picture <laughs> it's cold true. outside it's january and mills is wearing shorts yeah so. you know what that yeah, I, i've always worn shorts um and uh, I, i've always find it if you wear shorts certainly when it's cold it's you know people it blows people's minds it's it's it does it's, it's more, a really simple thing isn't it it's a simple thing that blow and i don't do it to blow their minds but the amount of people that come up to me in coffee shops and sort of a they remind me that i'm wearing shorts as if i didn't know i was wearing them and b they you know they question like aren't i cold for me, it's just a symbolism of like giving so much of a shit that I don't give a shit. It's like, I'm just going to be me. It's like I got invited to something um, at Downing Street in a, f- in a few months and I straight away wrote back and said, I- I can't, I'm not going to turn up in, I'm not going to turn up in anything but shorts and t-shirt. If I need to turn up in, in something else to, that doesn't reflect who I am, I don't give a slice of shit. I'm not going to turn up. And, um, and that's why I said that's something I did recently. Also, I just, I, I decided to stop doing anything that I didn't want to do anymore. Um, not to, if people, if I need to do things that are going to help someone else, of course I'll do that, but I'm never, ever going to wear nothing for short. So I don't have any trousers. Okay. So 
Let's start with a quick fire round. Oh yeah, let's do it. All right. Shorts or white fronts? Shorts. Okay. Just <laughs> Shorts or as if he's going to go walking around town in white fronts. You want to see how extreme this guy's well, going to go. Funny you should say that. I started Bikram Yoga on uh, last Friday and I, I really loved that. And what I loved the most, I didn't really know what the, I was meant to do in Bikram Yoga. Like what, I knew it was going to be very hot and I've heard of you sweat, but I didn't know what attire I should really wear. So I went in with t-shirt and shorts. But the instructor came in with, with white, tiny little white fronts. They were quite cute. And I thought, fucking hell, what a legend. So when I go in this Friday, I'm not wearing the shorts. I'm just going with a wife. There you go. So you go. And no, I hadn't no. told you that before. <laughs> it does say shorts and trousers. You yeah. just wing that, didn't yeah, you? I just changed it. Yeah, <laughs> This guy's good, though. Listen, I, I, wrote, I wrote the interview. I could fucking change yeah. it on the fly if I want to. Us two or us three or us four? As in, you're going to add, gonna add partners? Going to add partners to it and keep growing that way? Uh, no, we, 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 I mean, there are two other partners in us two, you know, minority shareholders, but we've never used that as a kind of... Uh, it's it was it was a gesture of many years back of kind of thanks to two people who who went a long way okay. uh, with the company. So no, in fact, a hundred percent no. Why I'll never sell the business and we'll never add partners. Okay, um, London or New York? London. Design or development? I should say both because I run a company with both. But of course, I'm a designer. Point. Oh, you're a designer. Okay. Favorite leadership book you've ever read? Hmm, that's always the one I knew was going to come. The book one. I don't read many books. There can be. I'm illiterate. We can just use that. Well, you know what? I, I don't. I don't. I'm not. I haven't read enough interesting books that will actually give anyone new value. What I do know is that I haven't read enough in my life. I one the other day I realised that when you learn, you learn. It's something quite new to me. So I've started to learn now. Okay. Do you listen to audio books? I do listen to audio books. What's your favourite audio book? Uh, well, well, that's kind of what I was assuming. I, I well, only do audio books. Um, well, well, I say. Well, I said yes with 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 conviction there because I'm listening to my first one right now. And what are you listening to? Mindful running. Okay. So the art of running mindfully. And um, what's the best app you've ever used? Um. You should have you should have sent these bloody questions before. Yeah, yeah. you can think. Well, I will say Spotify. It's, it's such a standard one, so we'll get oh, it. It's, it's fair, Spot- but I mean, as in like, that, yeah, whatever Spotify, your answer is, Spotify, that is absolutely Spotify my number love. one favorite app. I actually really like my Notes app as well. I'm not. I'm starting. I'm trying to understand how better to use, you know, my phone, and I just like to dump stuff down there. I've tried. I've tried loads of other apps that are kind of meant for that, but they're like graveyard apps. You put mm. them in, then you never look at them again. But um, I mean, you can't not love Twitter. I don't. Oh, ironically, I haven't used it for two weeks. But um, are you iPhone or Android? One hundred percent iPhone. Okay. And um, what's the app you're using most on your phone right now, other than Notes? Strava. Yeah. Okay. Strava. That's it's cool. a new. Again, is I've only started using it since I got into running six months ago, and actually, it's I, I've ne- I'm starting to see that being my new community. Just going to sense check how honest you're going to be for the rest of the interview. Very honest. What's the worst product you've ever made? I still love it, but uh, there's an app we make called Honk, which is like pre-Snapchat. And I always like to believe we made like, well, I don't like to believe, I, th- yeah, it was the shittest thing ever. I mean, I, I mean, leading up to Monument Valley, we made, I went on this tour, like, you know, for three, four years to talking with, um, on stage about, you know, our failures, our successful failures. And they were like 16, you know, pretty bad things when I look back at them. But I think Honk was dreadful because it was an app that absolutely no one needed or wanted. And it was proved by the fact that even though it's free, no one downloaded it. It was like a messaging app. Sure. Um, but it was, yeah, it was, it was, it had heart, but it was dreadful. And is that the worst idea you've ever had? Uh, I still, I mean, Sinks hates it. I still think it had legs. Uh, he's All right, not... so what's the worst idea, do you think? The worst idea? Well, they never actually became something. Or maybe it did become something that's even worse than Honk as an idea. Well, honestly speaking, we made this thing called Papa Quash. And it was actually already sounds like the worst idea. You've well, had. it wasn't my idea. It was I, okay. I'm stu- this was this was in my in my height of stupidity. I've never talked about this actually. Um, in my height of sort of loving people, I um, I sort of there was a famous Big Brother kid called Sam Pepper, and I like the guy. Um, and we looked after him for many years, and he had this idea for this app, and we made it for him. And it was just on the side, you know, it wasn't like a paid job, but it turned out to be a pretty much copy of a PlayStation game. And uh, I remember still waking up. It was horrifying, actually, I have to be honest. It, it made me really... I went off Twitter for over a year, and I was, I was I felt like leaving the industry because I woke up one morning, I still remember it now, lying in bed, and I'm looking at Twitter, and, of course, we just we launched it the night before, so I was excited for him. He had a big following. God, could this be the first thing we've made that actually people use? This is my side of the business. And um, I started reading people that I really respected, sort of questioning the integrity of, of us two and me. Um, and I was like, what's going on here? And then more I looked into it, I suddenly it dropped me that, you know, the idea wasn't necessary. It, it was, it was at, looking back now, it was, it was fucking madness that it was ever really, it was compared. But, you know, the 
I saw an entire swarm of people on Twitter turn on me and like, I didn't know how to deal with it at all. It was bad. It was horrible, actually. It was um, a low point of my, of, of my life, that shadow of a doubt. And it, it stopped me doing talks. I just, my confidence went, I just went up. I remember I went up to Shortridge House with um, Steve, who um, was led sort of marketing PR for many years, us too. And I uh, just sat there, I just didn't know what to do. I just didn't, I couldn't face it. I felt like I dishonoured everyone, so I had to own up. Well, obviously, I spoke to everyone else too because they were starting. Everyone else too starting to say, "Why is us two's names getting smashed about in the press?" Loads what was of, it? What, what had you done that was so wrong? Or was it just fairly trivial? You were supporting a Big Brother person. It was in eyes. What would happen is he? When I look back now, he had um, he had he had what he had done is he had reached out to this guy down in Australia who had made us replace a famous PlayStation game, which is to do with accelerometer and this device, and said, "Would you mind if he made his version of it?" Which is you know it was. It's, and the guy said, no, no problem. The problem is that when uh, Sam actually releases it, he said that us two helped him. And this guy down Australia rightfully goes, wait a sec, that's a big corporate. It's a corporate that done it. Sam tricked me. They're going to make loads of money. And it wasn't like that at all. It was a side project that I did. We reached out to him and we spoke to him and he understood eventually, but not before every journalist who had probably, you know, it's funny you introduced me as Chief Walker. I haven't heard that for many years. I think that was at the time, you know, I was the guy that was often in the small, tiny community I was in wearing this fucking pink wig, maybe being a fucking idiot. You know, for some journalists, perfect, we're turning this guy now. And I understand why they do it. So in the story of Mills, you're obviously the author of your own story, but I've taken the trouble of uh, crafting some chapters for you. Brilliant. Um, So we're going to start at chapter one, as you do. This is the story of Mills before us two. Tell us who you were. Tell us about the chap that grew up in Tunbridge Wells and getting himself into Brighton College of Technology. Well, I think I was, you know, looking back now, I was always, I was always a fairly popular guy, but what I liked about that was that was obviously because I was just a nice person or was semi-funny because actually I was the guy that wore um, Burton's trousers at the time. That's probably why I wear shorts now. Um, you know, like the worst clothes you've ever wear. And I, my haircuts were always styled on like the boy band at the time. So I'd, I had the Peter Andre. I had the Ronan Keating. I had the Justin Timberlake when he shaved it off. So I, I mapped back my, my hair and then it all fell out. And that's why I wear a beanie now. So I was, I don't know, I was, I, I wasn't, I didn't have any, I, you know, I was, I didn't have any idea really, I don't know why I said that because I had every idea that I wanted to be in design. I have a family that have got tradition in design. So I was lucky enough to understand the, 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 the power of design. And Brighton was a great college to go to because Brighton was definitely a, a cooler town than Tunbridge Wells, which is where me and Sinks grew up. Um, you know, it's a fairly eclectic place, although I didn't really like it. Sinks loved it because it was all about ideas and then he went to St. Martin's because he was so cool. And oh, I, so he didn't go to Brighton with you? No, he went to Brighton. We drove down every day and then St. Martin's came down one day. He'll love this. He, uh, St. Martin's come down to sort of headhunt you know, the best students from Brighton because Brighton's cool. So Sinks gets in and I had my interview and I didn't get in. because And I wouldn't have got my own. I, mean, I wasn't, I hadn't got, I didn't have a fucking clue what I was doing. If you're trying to grow your startup and you're dealing with companies outside of the UK, you're probably going to need ISO 27001 at some point. It's not the sexiest acronym, but it's basically the global standard for proving your security practices are up to scratch, like how you handle customer data. The same goes with SOC 2. You're going to need it if you're a SaaS company. But achieving these security frameworks can be very tedious and very costly. This is where our partner Vanta comes in. Vanta automates up to 90% of the work for certifications like ISO 27001, SOC 2, GDPR, HIPAA, and more, getting you audit ready in weeks instead of months and saving you up to 85% of the cost. And as a special offer, our listeners get 20% off Vanta. Just head to vanta.com slash secretleaders. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash secretleaders for 20% off. There's a link in the description. Look, you know I'm fascinated by AI, but until the machines take over, there's only one thing that's going to determine your company's fortunes. People. This isn't some kind of hollow point to make me look good. If you speak privately to any successful entrepreneur, they'll confirm it's true. So, if you're a leader of a growing business, then you should check out Personio. It brings together all the important HR things like hiring, onboarding, payroll data, performance reviews, and so on. You don't want loads of employees sending you emails asking for time off. You want to be able to see things objectively, like it's taking you too long to hire. 
You want to do performance reviews well, having clear goals for people that are logged in a centralized system. And you want to do all these things in one simple tool without having to become an HR expert. All of this is possible with Personio. Check it out at personio.com forward slash secret leaders. That's personio.com forward slash secret leaders. There's a link in the show notes. Let's move on to chapter two then, which yeah. is your first job. Yes. So what was it like? What did you learn? Tell us about that experience and how it helped form you as a then company founder after. So, you know, our sinks and myself, best mate since 11. Uh, he goes to St. Martin's. You know, it took me three years to get over the fact that he got in. I didn't. Um, but, you know, he came back to my saviour three years later where... The beauty of being in London, of course, was while he was at St. Martin's, the one benefit I see is that you're sort of in London and he got to do a lot of work experience with great companies. And while he was at one of them, I think Fitch, he meets, uh, meets Dom Del Toro, Del Torto. Um, and he's he sort of puts together this company called Big Animal, which isn't very big. It's him, in fact, and Matt Ellingson. And they are two of the most, I mean, they're brilliant guys in they're sort of, yeah, they're magic. But they didn't, they ran a, they built a design company but they weren't really designers as such. Um, Dom definitely more so. He's more of an animator. Anyway, so they need designers. So Sinks reached and phones me out one day and says, I've got this potential job, but they were kind of, they're interested in hiring both of us. I'm like, well, that sounds perfect. So I had to make a decision between going to the team, which was actually a really established big design company with a lot of credibility, um, or going to this to- this actual genuine startup. Um, and I got that job. I went with that in the end because I felt like, A, my best mate was there, and B, I felt I just loved the two guys that ran it. So over those three or four years, you know, what I learned there is that my dreams come true in that there are places out there that you can just be yourself. Dom is, you know, amazingly bonkers. And, um, you know, me and Sinks, I think, you know, worked extremely hard there, but we also partied extremely hard. And don't, over in Brit Lane, so like our East London world life begins and um yeah i just learned that you know you just need to know you need to be friends with your clients and you need to party with them and you need to but but most of all you need to deliver always for them and we loved it four years working with sony over in tokyo most of the time and um it was brilliant i loved it and you still friends with the guy still friends with the guy yeah i don't see him that much anymore matt Allison's actually done in new zealand but you know that gave us the grounding to believe that you can create this kind of micro utopia that is just like 24-hour party people and i don't mean just drink your time I just mean we were there all the time and it was it didn't feel like work um and, well actually ironically we probably didn't do that much work which is probably why i eventually left but it gave us the confidence to believe that well actually it gave us the time because i leave um bath digital is just really emerging um properly and um over those four years, we honed our craft around doing sort of interactive design. So we were doing quite boring work for like Sony, like menu systems, but we were honing this understanding of user experience. And then by the time Sony Ericsson get born, um, we thought, right, now's the time to, to begin. I think we've had our time here. We'll start something new. We'll, we'll take our, we'll, our clients wanted to work with me in syncs. Sony Ericsson bring out this new phone. Flashlight becomes the, the way to make their interfaces much better than the Nokia's and they want me and Sinks to do it. So they, the only bit of business that we ever did was we hired, um, they hired me and Sinks for a whole year. I think it was £12,500 contract. So we just used that money to hire the two other guys that we met at Big Animal as well, uh, Marcus, who's one of the other partners, and uh, Gypsy, and they came over straight away. And so that's uh, the story of how us two began. That's how it began, yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, so, so taking near- us into then chapter three, which is the start of us two, which in itself could be its own novel we'll see we'll see where this uh, where this goes so you've just sort of explained where the uh, where the momentum came from at the very least but what about the idea was there an idea was there a purpose was there a sense of mission or was it more you wanted to be your own boss and you'd learned enough from that point just to do it yeah i don't i, don't, I mean, we often reflect on that there's definitely no sort of we want to be our own boss like that wasn't really of interest to us we definitely knew though that you know there was the type of work we wanted to do was different to, to to big animal. You know, we were really we were really excited by interaction design. We were really excited by um, by mobile, and you know, we saw an opportunity to to go with that. And I think at the same time, though, where Sinks was definitely more of the hands on like work person, I was definitely more interested in the sort of community side, the the culture side. Um, you know, together we we love both, but you know, we wanted to create a space where we thought you know our rules lived, and those rules were often they weren't really rules. It was just you know being well. When we first started, it was like you know, no, just be human, know our souls. Type. I can't even remember what it was, but it was quite standard stuff. And um, you know, we didn't have much money. We um, we took five grand from my dad. Um, 
he often always says he wished he hadn't asked for the money back because you know then he would own you know a big percentage I guess of 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 us two, which I'm proud to say is probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest, privately owned you know product company. So um, into the client service product companies, um, I've digressed. Yeah, we just we we well not really digress because that's part of the start of us too. You never took external funding, just that original twelve and a half thousand pounds from Sony, right? Yeah, it's a combination of twelve and a half thousand pounds from Sony, and it was and it was my dad's five grand, which just gave us the money to buy two laptops. I'm looking at your laptop now, um, but you know we didn't want external money. We never have wanted that. We always wanted. We just wanted to build. There was. I don't actually remember there being any other belief. There wasn't. I don't remember the startup scene. I mean, obviously, there will have been one, but it, there was no obsession about that. You know, it was just, we're going to build a business. We have to make money in order to to pay the people that work, including ourselves, and we're going to use that money to do things we want to do. At the t- Originally, it was like, we're going to buy lots of beer. And it kind of embarrassed me in some way, looking back now, because I don't think that's the way you build business now. But, you know, we couldn't we couldn't beat the other big client service businesses um, to in terms of money, because we didn't have any. But we, we felt like, what's missing on those companies... When we looked around, they were all owned by big holding companies. We we had experience of, we had well, we we estimated what it must be like to work on those places. You know, we wanted to give people a sense. If you joined us, to you were going to get to know me and Sync really well. We're going to be building a business. You can observe as we're doing it. We're going to transparency is standard. You know, it's now it's obviously like a big thing, but it was it was like why would you not build a business on transparency? And that was what we always did. And and you know, going to the pub every night and just. It, we we consciously blurred the line between work and life. Like it wasn't no, we weren't trying to say go. We, we in those days we definitely didn't say go go home now and go and see your families. It was like well no, we're gonna. There's not going to be a work and a life because it's going to be one thing. Mm. And you know I would say for eight years that it stayed like that. You know, as then eventually we understood the need to probably have that separation. But um, you know it was a great time. Well, who were your first clients? You mentioned Sony. What about after that? What about the first two years? Take us through the first well, two years of us two. So for the first two years, yeah, Sony, Sony Ericsson. Um, you know, obviously mobile phones are becoming huge then, really popular. This is pre-iPhone here, and um, so you know, we can directly track their demise down to you building their products, right? It's definitely. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I hope it's not, but yeah, you, I mean, there's definitely an association there. Yeah, and then um, did Nokia. Yeah, you know, so so funny enough, uh, our first. Um, the issue with Sony Ericsson was we weren't really allowed to associate with the work. And that's the problem with many client service agencies where you do great work, but you're not really allowed to talk about it. Um, so although we had this amazing contract with them and by, by year two or three, we, they were probably hiring 30 or 40 of us. You know, we really scaled quite, well, I say quite quickly. Um, that's over three years, 10 a year, it's not that quick. Um, but we eventually get a, a job to do a painter and decorators website. So we do that one. Just for the, just because we could, it was money, and it wasn't Sony Ericsson. But you know, by chance, the guy happens to be best mates with one of the bosses at Credit Suisse, and uh, because of that network, we started to get um, we get a huge job for Credit Suisse building out there. One of their, um, I think he says this a bit better than me because he actually did it and he knows what the fuck he's talking about. Was I don't, so it's their foreign. I don't know, something to do with trading. Anyway, so Sinks, FX. FX trading, exactly. And uh, so Sinks and uh, the more intelligent members of us to sort of go off and do a huge project with that with um, with Credit Suisse. And I think at that stage, we start to really understand, okay, us to at that stage isn't known at all. But to anyone that does know us, we're quite a quirky company doing like really sort of abstract, sort of future-facing interfaces that ultimately leads to the demise. And, um, and, we're, and, and, you know, if you go into it, it's a quirky place. But actually, they're also working for Credit Suisse. So there's like there's this balance there where you can work for Credit Suisse and you can still be like yourself. And I think all too often, my personal view was that too many companies, certainly in the user experience space, were kind of painting or were this like white walled, like serenity. Everything is like highly um, intelligent or certainly putting that off. And I, I didn't want to be like that. I wanted us to to be a place where you're just being yourself. It doesn't you don't have to be crazy, but you're just being yourself. And if that meant you know writing on the walls, then that's fine. If that meant wearing shorts, that's fine. If that meant crazy hair, if that, that meant crazy, I didn't have any by then. Well, no it. hair then. That's also fine. I had the wigs. One of our generous sponsors is Contour, which is a new company focused on finding office spaces for startups, whether it's four or six desks, and taking you through to fit outs of offices as you scale up to hundreds. And we recently become a client myself um, as we scale. So what was your first office? How did you make the move into the T building? Essentially, we want, you know, chapter four for this big office move and growth moment. <laughs> we have to spend lots of money. Yeah, I know that much. Um, <laughs> 
Yeah, so we, we, I mean, we grow organically and, and that's the way, you know, we want to build longevity. We're, us too is, is a place that we're never going to sell. And, you know, we want to be around for, for forever, you know, well beyond, you know, we hope us too is going well beyond Sinks and myself. So, you know, we believe it takes time. So we're quite steady in our growth. We, we event, we were on Curtain Road, or we were on Curtain Road, then we moved to Bateman's Road, which is just around the corner from the T building, where we take a, a fairly big space we then take next door space we then go upstairs as well so it's very higgledy piggledy it doesn't work at all in terms of you have to actually go outside of one building and go down the street and get into the other so eventually uh we decide to move to the t building it's like and it's too big to be without a shadow of a doubt it's two floors in the t building it's a lot of money but it kind of we feel like when we went and saw it it's like wow this you know this we can grow into this thing if we can afford it so we take it and um i think that just gave us belief and also meant we had to actually work really hard because we had to pay the bills but uh, i think probably year three we then opened malmo um so because of our that was your second office that was our second office because our studio i never called it an office although i called it that one then um so marcus then spent like 10 years here he's swedish but he spent 10 years in the uk and then he thinks it's time to go back to sweden and you know it just so happens or probably the reason he did it that sony are based in sweden sweden in lund so malmo is the third biggest city and it's just next to lund so we move there and we open there and you know marcus takes a lot of the, va- of the values and uh, the way he's learned through um working with me and sinks for for by then six years because he, he was a big animal as well and he does a great job of, of kicking that one off as well. So it's just, it's step by step. We never planned anything. I th- I'm really proud of, of, of n- I've never been strategic. I'm only now getting my head around this sort of, you know, the, the necessity for strategy, really. Because we were, we were wonderfully clueless in that. We, we weren't trying to be anything we weren't. We weren't trying to achieve anything. We were just, and we weren't just trying to survive. But we were just, every day we were learning more and we were going with that. And it was just, I had this JFDI attitude. We were just trying things. If it felt good, we'd try it. If it failed, we didn't care. We'd tell people about it. And um, I think what, what we definitely started to realise is that clients just, you know, liked us as people. Like we were, there's lots of jokers out there in the world. And we weren't trying to sell to our clients. We were being real. And being real is, you know, is a big value of ours. Okay, so chapter five, international expansion. You've just touched on Malmo. Um, where are your offices abroad? What order do they go in? So we know that there was Malmo first. And actually, for a fun fact, I don't know if I've told you this before, but I've been to your New York office on Wall Street, been uh, played uh, Mario Kart in what was described to me as the Mario Kart room. Um, and it's absolutely incredible. So what do you prefer, that one or London? And take us through your, your expansion journey. Yeah, so obviously we we start London, we then uh, we start Malmo, then we New York, uh, and then Sydney is the latest one. And now we we have two um, satellite studios in LA and Tokyo. I think that's out of uh, of of a necessity and a bit more strategic actually. In that we New York especially, uh, we did it the only way you know, which is definitely going with with big money. Take some nice space. You know, you've been to one of the studios. I don't know if you've been to the latest one. Um, but was you kind of not on Wall Street then. Yeah, so that's the one. Yeah, yeah that, that was amazing. That's the second, that's the second one. Yeah. yeah, it's incredible. But you know, we it it definitely cost a lot to kind of suddenly try to make a name for ourselves in New York. And I would say that three years, four years later, in fact, probably five actually, you know, it's still it's still difficult to elevate yourself in, in that place. Manhattan is, I mean, you know, it's so crazy there. I think that's why I prefer London. I feel there's a sense of like, you can know where us two is. I know we're in an iconic building, but, you know, it's not that busy. And I find Manhattan just so crazy. But America is somewhere, sinks to myself, although we didn't want to go over there and do it. We wanted, to, we, we understood the need to be in America. America is definitely a market where the next few years we're going to be really investing into. And then Sydney was the, the one that started two years ago. And, um, and that's been a really interesting journey. I mean, not least, obviously, the, it's hard to communicate there and you've got to make a lot of effort there. And, and Joel, who leads that down there, makes an awful lot of effort to, to stay connected with us up here. But the magical thing there especially was that was a time where I really understood that us two is a special place in terms of our culture because that studio, um, we didn't visit since myself for two years. And that sounds a bit odd, but um, it's a long way. And uh, and actually, you know, we were dealing with so much um, back in London and in terms of the whole, the whole of the us two empire. And uh, when we did visit it, there was about 15 people there and you know we spent a week there and we were able because it's 15 people we were able to spend you know one-on-ones with everyone there and it really felt like a genuine family like it was really hacky it was in a much smaller studio than the ones we were used to in the bigger studios and i just remember saying to sinks it was um 
wow, this this is a proud moment. Um, I just felt so connected to it and um, to everyone there. Even though we had never met, you know, I would say 70% of the people there, a lot of people had left from other studios. We knew them and gone and set it up. But, um, yeah, it's magical. But I think, you know, now going forward, we intend to open new studios. Um, that's the plan because we want to be... The idea for me to have a studio is to be able to connect with that with that location and to bring our 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 culture and our ethics to that to that town and hopefully make a, an impact with, with in those cities and also to discover as well. Like I've spent too long just actually spending just in London. I want to be able to have a reason to visit like amazing places. Well, where's next on your list? I mean, where, where are you looking at? Well, I, as as I'm sure we'll talk later, I, I'm less in control of where we go now. As we've like we brought, we're bringing in some incredible people to 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 lead the studio side. I, I have I West Coast is somewhere we really, we're in LA right now, but we really want to make a go of West Coast properly. Um, I and also um, Austin is a place that we're seeing is a is is a great place where we can be we can grow well there. But I think I don't know. Rest of the world, Asia's fascinating. We like we're in Tokyo at the moment. Um, places, I don't know, places I've never been before. I, I, I think if I've never heard anyone sort of conquer China yet in terms of um, and actually make a real proper genuine go of it. And in terms, so I'd love to believe that one day we could. Going to see you in Uzbekistan soon then. <laughs> New places no one's actually conquered yet in the design space. Yeah, if I knew where that was, I'd go, where that was, I'd go there. But Central America, mate. Oh, really? No. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, fuck, I definitely didn't know where it was then. Um, okay, so just, uh, just before we move on to the next chapter, um, just to round off your history of client servicing. Yes. Um, who's the worst client you've ever had? I don't know if I'm allowed to say, really. Well, just go for it. What's the worst that can happen? Are they still a client? Well, uh, no. The worst, without a shadow of a doubt, is a company called Power. And they were... It was an embarrassment. It was a perfect example of, of what not to do. Uh, you know, we... I remember, you know, I backed the decision to do it, not pride knowing anything about the guy and the company itself, the, to take on this big startup. Um, because... We know at the time, I think, you know, we were struggling a little bit in our London studio and this idea of this big job was like, great. The problem is when we when we deep down looked at it and we went against our values and that's something we 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 hadn't done before and we won't do again. And so we knew we were taking a risk and we knew it could bite us because it definitely values were not aligned and it was the worst. Fit. And where I am the most sad about it was that it damaged a lot of the people that worked on it from us to perspective. You know, people who love us do so much, put so much into try to save that project, and it was a total waste of time. The, it was an awful, awful... Did they go bust before you got to launch it? They were... Oh, I don't think this thing was ever going to launch. I mean, I, it was terrible. I mean, they owed us a million pounds. They owed us everyone else, you know, shitloads of money as well. But it was... People like that shouldn't be allowed to, to to run business. I don't understand it. It was a real low point in in London in in us two. It, we really regretted doing it. It was such a waste of human capital. It was just it was awful. But I think also in that I don't think there are really, I don't think there are necessarily worse clients as such. I think client service is difficult, but it's actually no more difficult than working for some crazy loon founder or you know people are difficult and you know more than not you're working with clients or founders who don't really understand what it is they're building and you know maybe we don't 100% exactly understand because it's a new technology and we're all working together and I think the problem is when you shoehorn a load of different people together who don't know each other um, you know it's going to be difficult so that's why you know us do we spend an awful lot of our time with coaches making sure that we have team dynamics set up right with between the client ourselves and we we actually we purposely discuss partnerships as opposed to clients because i think we're trying to be one you know, like the best work is going to come when you're one team and mm. uh, not when you're sort of it's never like here's hey us to deliver this make this and bugger off like we are we are often in their studios or they're in our studios and you know the idea is that we're teaching them to be able to take this product beyond our first iteration and hopefully it lives forever we're, you know we're never building a product that just that's it it's not a campaign website you know it's it's actually some genuine utility Hey guys, this is Luke here, co-founder of Contour Space. Sorry to interrupt this awesome podcast, but I just wanted to tell you a bit more about us. We're a startup ourselves, helping awesome companies find amazing office spaces from start to finish, whether you're looking for a couple of desks to your next big HQ. We take care of the whole process from start to finish, and our service is completely free. Check us out on contour.space. So moving on to uh, the consumer space, which is chapter six in your story. You'll be pleased mm. to know. Moving along, That's MySpace. Uh, not as in MySpace. MySpace. I'm confused now. 
Well, it's MySpace of the business. I oh, got you. My, yeah, got you. Got zone. you. Got you. I thought you were trying to make like a MySpace pun. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> so moving on to if it chapter worked, six. It yeah, it didn't. <laughs> Did it? No. Well, we'll <laughs> find out. Uh, you've launched an absolute global smash hit game, Monument Valley, with a modest forty million downloads. Is that correct? Yeah, I think it's a lot more now, but. Um... Yeah, I, I can't remember, but it's done well for us. Okay, yeah. well, tell us a little bit about how you build a game that good and what the tricks you actually pulled off to grow to that number are, because that isn't just all magic, So, and this is your area. So give us a crash course in building a fucking global smash hit. Okay, well, first of all, you know, unfortunately, it is the classic story of, like, you try many things before, and I think so my failure, successful failure journey that led to it it's worth noting that sort of I, whenever the iPhone comes out, I think it's 2008, I think it's nine years ago now, that was the time that I stepped out of the client service side of us two. So in many ways, as us two starts to get bigger and bigger and more successful, I'm less to do with it. That's probably the reason. And the theme goes, that you're here, goes on with this. So then... So, says the guy that then produces a 40 million plus download. Well, that was, yeah, yeah, it was luck. It was, uh, it was an element of luck. So I go on a journey where I, you know, Shinx is kind enough. And, uh, you know, our mindset is that we're going to make money with our clients, from our clients, from our partners. And we're going to use that money to take our risk on on producing our own consumer facing. And they were actual apps in those days. Um and so we just go on this journey where I, I'm I've, year on year I'm given a bigger and bigger team. I think eventually I have like ten people that are are at us to purely to work in my team where we are just putting out a range of different experiments really. And I think they they start off really as just experiments, quite lightweight novelty in many ways. But over time, you know, it's funny to lose money that you can afford to lose. You know, if you're producing things that you you think is fun and should be in the world, but eventually you start to realize that. It's not that fun to lose loads of money. And actually, if you stop making certain mistakes and, and build products the right way, then, you know, there's more chances of success. So eventually, I think, you know, about six years ago, we I decided to actually want to make a game. Like we made Whale Trail. And that was a chance, you know, rather than to be like a sort of interactive. Well, it was. I guess it was interactive entertainment. But I wanted to actually make a game. If anything, to be able to tell people like, I just make games. It was really difficult to explain what us two is. And it still is. In fact, I can't actually explain it. But, you know, if I could just say to most people, well, we make games, mobile games, it's kind of, you'll get it. But um, but World Trail did well. Not, I would not financially. It costs a lot of money to make. Um, but but what it did do is it really sh- it really helped cement our relationship with Apple. Um, they, you know, they they had been supporting us through our releases for many years. But, and, you know, seeing us as a studio that's not afraid to put our money where our mouth is. What I learned, though, is that, you know, you can make the the... The jump there is that Whale Troll was a good ga- was a good looking game, but mechanics wise, it wasn't brilliant, and that's because it was too weighted in sort of like visual designers and experienced designers as opposed to true game designers. And so, what we suddenly realised was, or I realised, is that we needed to hire um, actual people from the games world. I didn't want to like just build a games company that was like what I perceive was every other games company, like loads of sort of geeky guys in a basement or something but i wanted to well, basically us right now well that's what you're funny enough i looked at you two then i thought <laughs> where can i come up with the like, two geek guys and we were in a basement um so so we decided so i so we made another game called blip Blup, which was you know it was it was i see it as a palette cleanser it was a puzzle game very minimal in design but it was a chance for us to take some time out um just to sort of rid ourselves of the sort of madness and the hysteria of well because it was quite a, a crazy game and in that time, we hired some incredible people. Um, I mean, Dan, who now heads our games company, leads the the whole company, and Ken Wong, who's now got his own company down in Australia. But those two coming on board, along with another others, uh, mixing in with the team we already had, we decided that, well, I decided that, you know, I would give that team the space to just do something magical. So really, the actually, when you asked about what is the magic ingredients, it was belief in other people. It wasn't about, it definitely wasn't about me. You know, I, you know, we committed, it was a million pounds or a million dollars. We knew it would take about, it would, well, we we said it take as long as you need, but have some sort of understanding of commercials here. Is that for Monument Valley? Or- That's for Monument Valley, yeah. Um, it cost you a million pound to make. It, it cost a million uh, dollars. I think it was dollars. I think by the I end, mean, it's a million. What pound. is that in time? That was a year. So it was eight people for over a year. Okay. So they they are at that time um, in the in the tea building, sitting in the corner, or downstairs actually in in our cyber cafe as we call it. So they were kind of almost. It was almost like the funny thing there was they were in a corner where everyone eats in the day. 
but they're just sort of wedged in the corners, almost like to peer in like a zoo. But these are the guys and girls that are um, that are building Monument Valley. There were certain things I believed that we could do that would give us an opportunity to do something special. And not least, it was not going the freemium way. It was let's make a premium game. Let's make it about experience. Let's make it, you know, I didn't like most of the games, mobile games that are out there. So let's make something that's more engaging. And that is an experience that, that actually says something and touches people in a way that current game or mobile wasn't doing. And it's not about time wasting. It's not about filling someone's time with just because they're bored at a bus stop. It's actually about giving them a small amount of time to actually really appreciate something they love it so they started and um they came up with three ultimately they had three uh routes and we at that stage in the cyber cafe we'd had this huge war that anyone could stick stuff up on and it was but primarily it was all the stuff the games team were doing and uh ken designed his one picture because he had a fascination with architecture and it was of a little I don't even know if it's a princess, a little character sort of looking up at this bit of architecture. And it wasn't um, geometric. It wasn't um, abstract geometry then. It was just a building. And something about that, anyone from the studio just walked past, they liked it. And we did a big demo session. And, and that, when they had they had moved on, they started thinking it could have some sort of Escher-esque style um, possible geometry. Um, that was the one where people really, really got excited. So we, there was just a genuine feel that there was something we were onto something here. And the success, though, was they all put down to the fact that it was made not in a games company. It was made in a user experience company. It was made in a company whereby we user test on people that didn't play games. So there's a lot of user testing. You know, it wasn't just like let's just make some arbitrary thing which which I'd done for 15 products before and not really care what people think. This is the Mill Show. Well, the problem is with the Mill Show is that no one likes the stuff that Mills puts out. So, but with this one, we we had so many user sessions where we'd really listen to the feedback and in terms of the length of the game, everything. So we really are confident by now. And then we, the Steve eventually gets a bit of press in Wired the year before we release, um, or sort of six months leading up to it, where Wired say. A wonderful we couldn't have asked for better um is this the most beautiful game of 2000 and whatever year it was 14 13 maybe i can't remember and i think because we had that bit of press then we were able to use that to go to app and say look this is the hype that's starting other people got excited about it you know i was pretty prolific on twitter by then and we had a community and i think these things started were snowboarding positively and because timing plays a huge part in this because there was so i think there was a real sort of hope that they that you could still make a premium game it do still do well and it, you didn't just have to um, make a freemium title and sort of you know essentially make a gambling an addiction be the reason it's successful so how much did it cost to download well we launched it with, i think it was 4.99 4.99 so it's quite a lot of money you know yeah. so you don't have to be a genius to work out that that's probably the most profitable thing you've ever done yeah i wouldn't do 4.99 times 40 million though there are free downloads in that download as well i think it's made about it's made about I think we've, you know, we're very open about the numbers. I think it's done 25, 30 million pounds. So, un- yeah, undoubtedly, that is the most successful thing. I mean, that has obviously wiped out the debt of eight years of spending, yeah. you know, up to a million pounds a year. And for giving you, I guess, your own arsenal to launch new areas. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and in that, I think that's so, that's, you know, it's not just like you've got all that money to spend it on. Not at all. You know, let's not forget at this stage, it wasn't actually part of a group, but we, we've expanded. We are a group of companies now. We have our, you know, our agency side. We have our product building side, essentially. We have our games company. We have our investment side. Well, actually, they're all in, coupled into one side. But, um, but you're right. We, you know, we use that money to, to support the studio's growth as well. You know, like if one of the studios wasn't doing well, then you know, you've got to get money from somewhere. Now, obviously, you can go to... For us, it was, a strate- it was a strategic move without knowing it was strategic to find a revenue stream that wasn't beholden on us selling our time and materials to clients. So you know, it's been both the best and worst thing that's happened to us, Monument Valley. We, we always say that. The best because, obviously, it was finally, you know, I never cared about winning awards, but being up on that Apple stage and like, getting a design award, winning the BAFTAs, making, by making something where the team, where you, you just believed in people and they delivered was just the best thing I've ever feeling. And the fact that it's a lovely story and it changed, you know, it did help to change game. It became like a staple of gaming, which is brilliant. I, I didn't think I realised how much I wanted until we got it. The worst part of it was that it took our eye off the ball of our client service business, which was by then 300 people. And 
gets hard as well to keep people wanting to work for that part of the business when you've got the shiny thing over there. Yeah, I think by then we had spent many years like dealing with that anyway. And I think people by then were mature enough and understood that like we're now a games business. It's not even in part of the team when it's down in South London. And, you know, people that work there are purely focused on making games. And it's a very different business to, to making a banking app or making a new service. But what it did do is it, 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 it allowed me and Sync to probably spend two years not dealing with big issues in the, in, the, in the businesses because we had this money. We could just paper over the cracks. And that was damaging because when eventually, when we eventually realized that, you know, we, although we, we are one group, we are one us two, we actually want to have our businesses, they have to be standalone businesses. And when you remove, you know, that, that, that pressure, you, that you, yeah. or you put that pressure back onto each business, you actually get better businesses. But, you know, at the time, you know, we, it was, it was too, it was dangerous. And then we also gave, you know, a fair amount of that money away to over. We had what we call a sharing platform where we always said that if we ever deliver on one of our products that beyond our client service, we would equally distribute a percentage, I think it was 30% of the profit to everybody. Uh, and that was something we did do. And we did again with Monovay too. But um, again, this, the problem with not being that business savvy or certainly learning on the job is that we, I don't think we ever making the money we at the time we made it we didn't really think about the fact that you need to reinvest into its own team as well like the games team has grown now it's 28 people you know we're working on multiple titles now that costs money you know we have to reinvest it the studios needed some support we we put that in we wanted to grow so um but it's been you know like it's it's been a defining moment i think nobody if anyone knows of us two in the world it will be because of monument valley and i think that's the exciting thing going forward is that to change that perception like that we just want to use that as one of the things people know us like and that's why i'm excited i mean you touched on it uh, winning the apple design award and everything else so i saw a photo of you with tim cook mm-hmm. at your office in london yeah so what do you and the apple ceo talk about uh, a lot of talking about um ar actually but you know what i so that was a, a one of the most humbling um, experience I've ever had and and I was so lucky to to spend you know the hour I think we spent an hour with him you know obviously he, he runs the biggest company in the world but yet he was without a shadow of a doubt the, there was something an aura out him that made everyone that talked to him feel special um, there was no arrogance with him at all he calmed the room straight away he spent time with everyone he got really down with uh, the mood boards you know he was there three weeks before we we were announcing and uh, or was it a month before I can't remember uh, we, before we were announcing and, and releasing the game on their stage and you know he came to, to meet the people that are making great products and it was the fact that he didn't just come in and go really quickly he actually spent he spent time there afterwards just 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 being part of it and I think it was magical uh, I loved it now I guess we've ticked off the basis so uh, build an incredible studio make money build a big company internationalize build your own consumer products it's kind of like the wish list anyone could ever want you've now moved into a more obvious space which is venture or as you call it adventure yeah talk us about chapter talk to us about chapter seven so we made a decision to to sort of split the split us two like what is us two we've always struggled to really understand what it is you know is it an agency is it a product builder is it an investment company is it a games company is it a foundation you know, these are, you know, what the fuck is it? And um, so what we decided to do is to, we want the studios to be the best studios there are. We want, you know, we're proud of being one of the, what the one of the only private, privately owned client service businesses out there. And we want to make that, the, you know, one of the, the best. I wouldn't say the biggest. I think we want to, whatever you need to do to be the best, we'll do. If that means bigger, we'll go bigger. Um, and at the same time, we're going to, we've, we split, we've formed adventure, which is a, a more focused view that I can spend my time on now and, and lead and drive adventure. And adventure is, is sort of made up of four pathways, um, which kind of call them at the moment. We have our playground, which is uh, a route, a floor with about 80 people on in the T building where it's kind of like a quasi co-working space slash incubator slash just place with great fucking people like supporting one another. Uh, and we just enjoy, or I really enjoy, just being able to bring in um, people that align with our two values and learn from them and hopefully help them as well. And, you know, occasionally invest in them as well if that need. But the idea of having a community that's beyond the people we employ. We're trying to run our business the way that works best and with teams. So, like, you know, I proposed what I wanted to do with Venture and the board. His job is to understand if it's feasibly possible financially. And these, so these four paths are a, a journey for me especially to to try to get really excited again about building a new venture. So I want to build a new us to something eventually, whether it could be completely abstract, it could be us to ultra running, it could be a mindfulness, another mindfulness product. 
but I don't know what it is yet. And I don't want it to be something I'm already doing. So I want to learn how to learn again. I don't feel like I've been learning. I've been so heads down. Um, so I'm really excited about this sort of strategy of like over in the within three years, I want to have built something new um, or I want to have done or I'm building it with somebody else who's going to build it. So this next section is all about lessons and failures and I guess painting the next chapter in your life. So sponsored by Calm.com, which is Apple's 2017 app of the year and my personal choice for waking up every morning and starting my day. So let's kick off with the obvious. Take us through chapter eight and talk about your journey with meditation. What do you uh, what do you do to keep your mind active other than the obvious? Or are there some tactics you have? You mentioned mindfulness, but give yeah. us some tricks and tips I mean, I did, from the I... world of Mills running i can't talk highly enough about it and the more i learn about the benefits of running the more it just brings me in balance and i actually prior to knowing that i would love running um one of our design directors years back you know could tell if i hadn't been on uh, a run or done something exercise because he would just say that i was just throwing like grenades you know it was there was just like a, not a piece about me so running um I've, I've actually just switched off from, I'm changing the way I, I use email and, and social. In fact, social at the moment, I'm kind of off it again at the moment. I was, it's too all too easy to be sucked into it. And, you know, I wasn't achieving anything by being involved. So I haven't been using Twitter for quite a while now. But email, I think, was ruling my life. You know, I would be proud of being the best emailer in town. And I'd often tell people that. So now I'm I'm trying, and this may well change by the time this even goes out. But um, you know, I'm tempting. I look now at the email about about nine o'clock, and I look at it again about two o'clock, and that's it. The idea being that I'm present, and I haven't been present for many many years, and it's 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 actually you know it's it's weaning myself off an addiction, but it's really starting to help because I think presence is the thing that is most lacking in in many businesses. I see so many people, I saw so many people in our business, like in meetings with their laptops, checking out Slack. But I think this is a very difficult um, balance because you talked earlier about being the guy, and I resonate with this, by the way. I bet. um, But being the guy who's always on and always available for people. Yes. And um, that comes with its limitations. And that comes with its, I mean, by its very definition, you can't be present on what you're doing if you're enabling other people to interrupt and disrupt your time and focus. It's a really difficult, isn't it? Because I think you you create this sort of persona that is you and you think that people like you because of that. And you're right. But then you invariably end up disappointed them if because you can't be on 24 hours a day but you're right it is difficult um i think and so i think what i'm changing track and sort of the tactic is now is to be better like i'm going to spend less time with you but it's going to be good time and you know when you need when you need me i used to say like whenever you need me 24 7 i'm there for you and that's a lie really because i can't always be 24 7 so now i'm teaching myself to sort of say you know thanks for you want something but um but I'm going to have to get back to you when I've got time because I was leading my life through others. You know, uh, you know that's that's not a good place to be. You but you burn out really badly, and I was so burnt out. So we spend a lot of time listening to guests on how they handle stress, mm-hmm. and that obviously in turn by na- by its very nature will build resilience. Yes. What are your top tips on this? Well, so I stopped drinking six months ago, mm-hmm. and I anything I, that helps you manage stress for me, it's the it's the greatest thing ever. Um, you know, prior to stopping, you know, me and Sinks sort of congratulate ourselves on spending you know the last year every day not i wouldn't say drunk but like you know drinking and i just thought that was bad like why was why was that a good thing and you know that was it wasn't helping my sleep it wasn't helping my diet and it was i was like how can i be sort of a proponent of better mental health if i'm not even looking after i'm making the changes to look after myself and uh I thought it would be hard, but actually I, just, I had this determination to be a better, you know, I had and I wanted to be an ultra runner. I wanted to believe I can get myself to like a professional state and it's going to be a hard slog, but I think I can do it. Um, and I wanted to prove that I was actually better than the alcohol. So it's been the best thing I've ever done. You know, obviously over Christmas, I didn't drink either. Um, I've got now you're into that one of stage where I don't have to keep telling all my mates that I don't drink. You know, there's still a few of them that still sort of don't understand. But um if I think if you don't drink, it's just you're you're in another world. So yeah, don't drink, sleep really bloody well. I now I have a routine now. I get up at five thirty every morning. Um, I am just stretching and I'm just um, spending time myself because I realised that stress that I was having was also not building myself the time to achieve the things I wanted to achieve. So you know when I actually wrote down, which I never usually do, the list of things I wanted to do stretching wise and mindfulness wise, it went to like an hour and a half. So then I understood why it was impossible for me to do it in the five minutes 
uh, running around, when my kids were running around. So I've created this area upstairs and it's just completely, it has given me like a better kick to the day. I also stopped drinking coffee, although now I'm back on it now, but on a, on a much better balance with it. Um, when do you go running? I go, I go running every morning. So I'm in a lucky position, of course, that I own a company. And I thought, um, what's the point of owning a company if actually it was, it was in charge of me? You know, the point of building us two all those years back was actually to, to be free in some ways. Designing your own lifestyle. Designing, yeah, less about that, but it was always like, yeah, like no one could tell me what to do. But actually what happened is it, was, it got so bad, the company was winning. Like the company owned me in sinks. Like it, was, it was pretty hard. And, you know, we questioned whether or not we still had it in us. And I understand actually why companies, people, founders sell. And I think more often it is because they hit that point. It's too stressful. It's like, what? I'm not getting anything out of it. So I thought, well, I don't want to leave and I don't want to sell it. So let's make it work better for me. So actually, if I know that if I go running for one, two hours, three hours in the morning, and usually super early, hence not drinking so I can get up earlier, um, it means that I can get in a better headspace. Okay. Well, wrapping up, I'm going to go all the way to chapter 20 because I'm being generous about how long you're going to live with your health. What's it going to say on your epitaph? I would hope that, you know, he did it his way. That's so fucking wank. So you were Frank Sinatra? <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought when I said I it. I felt like we should leave it there. That's <laughs> done. Thank you very much for being an awesome guest. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. Next week on Secret Leaders. There's never a good time. So it is better to get out there than be perfect. And that's a problem for most people because once you're out there, you feel it's a reflection on yourself. So of course you do not want to mess up. Just keep going. Look at your business like a child. Would you ever give up on it? No, you wouldn't. Are they going to scream all night? Maybe for months on end? Yes, they are. Accept it. That was a lovely, bubbly and funny Holly Tucker, a wildly energetic and passionate entrepreneur who built one of Britain's best loved online marketplaces. Next week, you'll hear from the founder of NotOnTheHighStreet.com. She shares her impressive journey with us and talks about leaving the company she started and loved to begin a new chapter with Holly and Co. She's a huge supporter of young entrepreneurs starting up their journey. So if you want to hear how she could help you, well, you're just going to have to tune in or you'll miss out. See you then. Don't miss an episode by subscribing to us on iTunes or Spotify. Just search for Secret Leaders. You can also check out our website at secretleaders.com for show notes and behind the scenes of each interview. Hi, I'm Simon LaFosse, the founder of LaFosse Associates. We're a young, high-growth and co-owned business, and we're experts in attracting talent. If you want to build a great team or you just want advice, please get in touch. We run free seminars and we'd love to see you there. Thanks for your time. This episode was hosted by Dan Murray, produced by me, Rich Martell, edited by Harry Morton at Lower Street Media. And if you're hearing this, that's probably thanks to Jennifer Osman, our marketing whiz from Canada.